We're going to talk to you. You are the initiate. You are the cosmic being. We found out that I was actually getting a two inch by two inch brand with a cover as a man. We no longer under the laws of Moses. The world that we can cut with violence and the violence shall take it by force. Coffee. And cults. <sighs> Hi John. Hi Sam. Hi listeners. And welcome to Coffee and Cults where once a month we meet, drink seasonal festive coffee type drinks and uh, discuss cults, sects and fringe religious movements from around the world. Please be aware this podcast may not be suitable for all listeners as it will contain strong language and with my uh, knowledge of this subject I'm going to say murder, I'm going to say sexual abuse. Content um, warnings for gun violence, yeah. suicide, general death, fire, mayhem. General death sounds like a terrible commander. <laughs> or a really good commander. Well, yeah, depending on Count, which... Counterpoint. Oh, good one. Sick burn. Um, yeah, there will also be some references to our prior discussion of um, of child sexual abuse, but they're very brief. Um, yeah, it's going to be just in time for uh, December, listeners. Uh, we're going to go to the bleakest of our three-part uh, series on the Branch Davidians. So if you haven't mm-hmm. listened to part one or part two, charting the rise of this... Uh, religious offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventists or the rise of their leader at the time, David Koresh, then please go back and listen to those previous episodes before we dive in to the third and final part. Ooh, thank you very much for um, all of you for getting in touch with us. We've had some lovely dog pictures. We had, did you see the picture of the squirrel? Yes, amazing. We had a picture. Thank you to the listener that sent us a picture of their squirrel. Oh my gosh, that was the best. Um, and we we respond in kind. Sometimes they get pictures of my cats. Sometimes they get picture of John's beautiful dog, Ash. So if you'd like to join Pet Pick Exchange, <laughs> you can do that by looking us up at, uh, at Coffee and Cults on all your favourite uh, surveillance social media sites. Um, <laughs> no matter <laughs> what lunatic currently runs them. Uh, and uh, you can also email us at coffeeandcults at gmail.com. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so. Uh, we've got some bonus stuff coming up on Patreon. Uh, and we've got a, a... Ah! John's dog just asked for some attention. Hey, Ash. Um, yeah, so you can come support us on Patreon. Uh, we've got some stuff going on there. We've, If you would like to support us on a one-off basis, you can do that at ko-fi.com forward slash coffee and cults. Thank you, Ash. I've got a very clean arm. Or if you'd like to support us more regularly, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash coffee and cults. A big shout out and a thank you to all of our Patreons. Um, We have some little presents and gifts coming up for you over the festive period. So do look out for those. Um, We really appreciate that. It helps us make this strange, crazy uh, podcast that we do. Um, Yeah, we're really grateful for all of that support. If you can't support us financially in these tricky times, uh, if you like us, please let other people know that we exist. Please leave a review, rate us in all those different places. Uh, That all helps us as well. Thank you for saving me there, John. I got very distracted by the dog. (laughs) Okay, Sam. How are you feeling? Are you ready for this? I'm feeling good. We're recording in the morning for once. Let's see how this goes for the first thing I listen to in the day. We'll, 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 we might need a bit of time to warm up. So, here we are. Ooh. Um, we will remember previously that we had charted uh, how David Koresh had sort of taken over this apocalyptic Seventh-day Adventist offshoot and 
was in charge of their compound in Mount Carmel and was also up to some shady, um, some suspect behaviour, particularly uh, around the treatment of young uh, women and girls in the compound, yep. uh, particularly around sort of weapons and rhetoric that was often sort of tending towards this idea of a violent um, outcome to the end of the world. And so there's this real forceful idea in their theology that the world will come to an end, will process into the sort of biblical apocalypse described in Revelation, um, and that the Branch Davidians all believe uh, the world will move into its next age towards that apocalypse through violence, blood, and fire. Oh, lovely. Which is not a very... uh, yeah, not a very jolly thing. Um, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. <laughs> happy Merry Christmas episode. It's not a Christmas episode. No. Listeners in the future listening to this at any time, we just happen to be surrounded by twinkly lights and a Christmas tree and tinsel, which is playing against the moon <laughs> somewhat. Um, as well as this apocalyptic journey into fire, uh, America's going to have a central role to the end of the world. I think that's, I don't think that's a theory. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Yeah, I think increasingly uh, day by day and year by year. Sorry, Americans. And that in particular, part of the way that this would happen uh, is that uh, the United States would enforce a Sunday law um, to flush out all the people who are true Sabbath keepers um, and that that would sort of lead into a period of persecution that then also sort of triggers mm-hmm. um, this sort of run of apocalypse. Um, and that the sort of the bad guys um, in that scenario would be papal Rome also probably true uh and and america who they sort of see as being the two beasts described in the book of revelation sure um uh so uh, america in that is the beast that speaks like a dragon but looks like a lamb oh i reckon like you know when you do that thing where you can go and look at clouds and find shapes you could probably make a lamb happen out of is it are we talking the USA, North North America, yeah, South of Canada, <laughs> maybe. I'm yeah. sure if we drew around enough states or something, we could find a a lamb. I also yeah. like the sort of the reverse implication that there might be this lamb that speaks like a dragon, um, but there yeah. also might be this <laughs> dragon that speaks like a lamb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So that's fun. Um. So this is the sort of the the root of their. Um, their theology and what they're sort of hoping for I guess and expecting Mm -hmm. and we're going to see how this is a really interesting one I think in terms of the the sort of the the big finale of a cult that's the wrong way to phrase that John it's not a TV serialized episode but in terms of their like the denouement of it oh you're so fancy thank you Um, that this one really is at a certain point can only go one way because of what they believe yeah you know with, with like jonestown and other things that doesn't that isn't necessarily baked into their theology from the start you can sort of imagine that it there could, could have be a circumstance gone on forever where things go or, other ways yeah. or, or people make different choices or whatever that doesn't feel like it's the um it's the case here and i should say somewhere up here at the top um there is lots of controversy about what happens in this not I was gonna say in this episode. There's no controversy <laughs> about what Sam and I do in this episode, but in the story we're telling in this episode, yeah. there are things that are disputed and things that um I guess depend on how you read 
events and who you whose yeah. account you believe um and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go um but i think it's fairly clear that there's something really baked into the way this group sees the world mm-hmm. that when they come into confrontation with other people other military-ish are, yeah, organizations there are only yeah. certain ways that it can mm-hmm. it can go We've um, we've already seen the first bit of gun violence from these people, haven't we? We saw that in in the last episode. Yeah. <sighs> so um, hot take: guns are bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, they yeah, they do bad things sometimes. Yeah. When do they do good things? Um, that gun that shot Hitler. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Sometimes they make nice displays over fireplaces. Yeah. Um, uh, Water pistols are funny. <laughs> yeah, see, there we go. Yeah, okay. Uh, there we go. There's good balance. Sorry, I've removed my hot balance takes. Guns any... are fine. <laughs> <laughs> There's some balance for any particular uh, Second Amendment uh, yeah. fans. Um, we're going to jump a little bit back and forth uh to begin this but we are going to start on february the 27th 1993 oh okay um so up until now the group have kind of been doing their own thing and sort of raising some eyebrows in the local area uh but on february the 27th the waco tribune herald released the first in a seven-part series about koresh and the Branch Davidians. Oh, yeah. Um, I love how often these things get brought down by journalists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, in part, this was taken from interviews with uh, former members um, and uh, was the result of like an eight-month-long investigation. Wow. Um, so, there'd been some, yeah, some real scrutiny, some real sort of digging happening. Um, and in particular, it covered... Uh, the polygamy that was taking place, the statutory rape and mm-hmm. just rape, rape that we've previously discussed um, and the large store of guns. Um, I'm going to read you the opening little paragraph, which gives you an idea of the tone of it all. Cool. If you are a Branch Davidian, Christ lives on a threadbare piece of land 10 miles east of Waco called Mount Carmel. He has disciples, claims a ninth grade education... Married his legal wife when she was 14. Enjoys a beer now and again. Plays a mean guitar. Reportedly packs a 9mm Glock. And keeps an arsenal of military assault rifles. And willfully admits he's a sinner without equal. Cool. He's just one of you. Totally chill things for a cult leader to be. Great. Um... But that is interesting in like the sort of the the contradictions of mm-hmm. Koresh and how he sort of portrays himself and sort of makes an asset of like, yeah, some, yeah, I'm a, yeah, you have to sometimes be a sinner so that you understand what's going on and so that you can then really yeah. demonstrate your, that's like a really clever way to excuse right? all of yeah. your behavior. Yeah. Um, that that's, you know, um, that, okay, there was a, a sin less messiah that came and mm-hmm. now this is the one that's really going to be of the world yep and like that is for all the other things actually kind of smart and kind of yeah interesting um and again not out of pattern so mm-hmm. supposedly uh gregory rasputin part of his sort of theology as a holy man in russia was um that because he used to go around and sort of knock loads of women off 
um, <laughs> in different ways and spin around in basements and things. Yeah. <clears throat> so that sounds fine as a lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but that, that's the 12th deadly sin of spinning around in basements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it really makes God cross for some reason. Yeah. Um, I think because he's looking down from above. Sure. So it probably has more of a, it's a bit more dizzying um, <laughs> for him. Uh, but a big part of his sort of theology was the idea that you... Uh, you sort of sinned and got really into that world yeah. in order to really repent and that would sort of heighten the way you were saved and were sort of And like with, redeemed. Um, it was with Love Has Won, wasn't it? With the father being the Lord of Darkness and the mother being the Lord of yeah. Light. And yeah, yeah. Cult leaders are sneaky. Yeah. Another hot take. <laughs> <laughs> if we've learned anything over the past... 47 episodes? 50? 48 episodes? Number of episodes. Um, Yeah, cult cult leaders be sneaky. (laughs) Sneaky and sus. Yeah. (laughs) So that's published on February the 27th. It's the next day that the ATF move in for their initial raid. Um, Who are the ATF, I hear you cry? Who are the ATF? Thanks, Sam. That's okay. Well, I'll tell you. Thank you. Um, so, uh, the ATF, uh, Americans is probably more familiar to you, uh, is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a pretty exciting bureau. Yeah, um, they could have named it Feta. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe yeah. we should suggest that. Sam, take a, take a letter. Take an email. Dear ATF. Yep. Yeah. Dear ATF, <laughs> please rename yourselves FETA to include all elements of your controls. Well, good. Okay, so that's sent off. Um, uh, they're a domestic law enforcement agency uh, within the United States Department of Justice. Um, uh, noticed with their name that if they're uh, not the ATF or don't take Sam's wonderful suggestion of FETA, yeah. uh, their acronym is actually BATFI. which is a less cool acronym so i can see why they made that call um but i think yeah feta is still there for the uh for the taking um they developed out of agencies originally um from like the treasury and the bureau of prohibition Sure, yeah, the alcohol and tobacco things yep uh in 1972 they became their own independent uh bureau to deal specifically with these issues kind of inspired by the fact that um, in 60, where's that written down? 68, there'd been a gun control act that meant there was much more to enforce than there had previously cool. been. So that's the organisation and they have sort of had been around for a little while by the 1990s. However, they were no strangers to controversy. And it's really interesting, Sam, in doing all this kind of research, you sort of think of the far-off lands of 1993 yeah, um, and sort of obscure, like, religious and political sects in in the south of America, mm-hmm. um, south of the United States, sorry. But there are so many little things that are just going to link into present-day political America uh, yeah, in ways that are really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, the roots of a lot of present-day stuff um is all is all right there um so in 1990 in june there had been uh, an incident referred to now by its place name uh ruby ridge yeah heard of it um so <clears throat> randy weaver who was a kind of survivalist 
and a white separatist. Uh, so not a great guy. I used to regularly go to something called Aryan Nations. Sounds That gives cutie. you an idea of his kind of interests. Yep. But he uh, had sold two unregistered sawn-off shotguns to an ATF informant. Silly boy. Very, silly. very silly. Um, which the, the sort of the accusation at the time was that they'd been illegally cut. So they'd been cut shorter than they should by, by like, yeah. I don't know, millimetres or something. But that sort and of made the difference of what was legal or illegal. Despite my strong feelings about them, I don't know anything about guns. Does that mean they do bigger booms? Is it like the with a shotgun, does it mean the shrapnel goes further? Maybe. Yeah, I guess it must be in some way more harmful, mustn't it? Because that yeah. would be your impetus to do it and your impetus to not have Or does it just make it. it easier to hide in your jacket? Oh, maybe it's that as well. Okay. I'm sure people are going to message us now and let us know. Great, thank um, you. So, uh, so that happened. But he sort of, he avoided uh, the court summons that he got in, in response to that. Um, and the ATF offered to drop the charges if he became an informant for them because he was in this kind of survivalist scene where there sure. was lots of sort of firearms accumulation and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he refused um, and was later acquitted because it turned out that maybe it wasn't short enough to technically be illegal, okay. even though it was sawn off in some way. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of widely seen by sort of people in his thought space and and world as like entrapment right yeah we're gonna try and provoke you to do a thing claim that it's really illegal force you to become an informant Mm -hmm. and then oh you haven't done that oh it turns out actually it was legal yeah all along uh so that's a really good way of feeding into the paranoia and um you know suspicions of this kind of subculture um he missed um, kind of various court dates and, and summons related to that. Um, and I think also probably related to tax and stuff as well. So he had a w- long history of missing some court appointments. Again, there's some disputes about whether he was told the right dates and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Either way, something shady was happening yeah. in both um, from both parties. Yeah, which meant he ended up not making the dates. Uh, so uh, the U.S. Mar- uh, U.S. Marshal Service uh, team approached him uh, near his property, and there was a shootout which killed U.S. Marshal Bill uh, Deegan, Weaver's son Samuel, and Weaver's pet dog. Oh, it went badly. Yeah, it was pretty horrific. Sure. Um, and the um. FBI hostage rescue team surrounded the cabin uh, that they lived in uh, the next day. Um, In that next day, um, a sniper from the hostage rescue team tried to shoot Randy uh, and killed his wife. Um, He actually survived, but his entire family had been killed uh, during this uh, incident. Um, Going back to my original hot take... Guns are bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, for either side of who has them. So there were Department of Justice and Congress uh, kind of reviews and hearings, oh. um, which raises lots of questions about how the ATF and the Marshal Service and the FBI um, handled the situation, mm-hmm. are handling kind of uh, citizens with weapons um, and the people that get caught up in those kind of interactions. Um, and obviously this became like a key event for gun rights activists 
Although well, yeah. they might not be sympathetic to the horrible racist shit that this guy was involved in. Yeah. They saw this very clearly as you can be slight, you know, there can be allegations that you have a weapon you're not supposed to have and the FBI will come and shoot your family and your dog and your son yeah. without any due process or, yeah. Or, um, yeah. Her- a horrific, like unimaginable. There's, I think you've probably seen this as well, Sam, a really mm-hmm. good documentary that John Ronson did. Oh, uh, no, I don't think About I this. Yeah. Um, where he, um, I can't remember, does he speak to, I think maybe he speaks to Randy Weaver in that, but he speaks to his daughter. Wow. Um, and other people that were kind of involved. Uh, because this sort of really fueled that American militia uh, subculture, yeah. the guns rights, you know. And kind of understandably, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. If yeah. you are told you are allowed a thing and then they try and find ways yeah. to make that thing that you are allowed illegal. Yeah. yeah. And you... the idea that, that, you know, you can be a survivalist and be trying to sort of being off grid and keeping your distance, but the government will come and shoot your family. Yeah. Yeah. You can kind of, you can understand that kind of, uh, so there was already, interestingly, lots of sort of criticism of the way these groups were handling situations like that. Mm-hmm. And it was already starting this kind of, yeah, po- political... Um, storm uh, around it. Okay, so we're going to jump forward a little bit to uh, July the 9th, 1992. Cool. um, When uh, United Parcel Service driver Larry Gilbreth reported that he delivered a 90... uh, He delivered, sorry, 90 pounds of aluminium powder and two cases of inert dummy grenades. And some black powder to Mount Carmel. Okay. Now, all of those things are legal at the time for you to have. Uh Uh-huh. But my understanding is less legal if you then put them together to make lots of grenades. To to, uh, uninert the grenades. A weird rule. Yeah, um, it's really funny. So the two books I read, which I will shout out later, were kind of a good balance because one of them is much more sort of sympathetic. Okay, interesting. Um, and one of them is much more is is quite quite good at being balanced, but ultimately comes down and says you can totally understand why certain things happen. Yeah. Um, the the book makes a big uh, case of like, oh, this guy delivered some dummy grenades to them and then made like a really big deal out of it. Mm. But, you know, they were just dummies and actually that's legal to have. I don't know why they've got this kind of valley girl yeah. voice. <laughs> I really actually, enjoy it. legal to have. I'm really enjoying so, the shoulders that you're doing at the same uh, time. Actually, it turns out you're the dick. <laughs> um, I think actually there, it just sounds a little bit like that UPS driver should have not been so nosy. <laughs> like, it's not oh, legal it's like, to I hate to- it when you go to the post office and they ask you what's in your parcel now yeah treats <laughs> i always yeah i'm always like I don't want to. yeah porn <laughs> just yeah razor razor blades and dildos <laughs> that's the name of sam and i's other podcast yeah razor blades and, and, and dildos specialist uh, listeners get to listen to <laughs> um yeah where whereas the other book goes oh yeah and there was 90 pounds worth of aluminium powder and black gunpowder and all this other stuff that was being delivered in the same order so it's quite interesting this is a good start i think for where people report certain facts yeah not other facts and take certain kind of angles and not other angles but then i'm going super like shishi liberal on this but like 
1990. You missed listeners that, as Sam said, she she liberal. She also made like peace fingers yeah. with her hand, like involuntarily. It was great. Um, the so in 1992, you order things like from a catalogue or on the phone, right? So surely there's some element of responsibility on that supplier to not sell those things together if that is the illegal part of it. If like having those things, yeah, to, it's kind of like, hard to puzzle out that it's legal to have these things, but also suspicious not to combine them yeah yeah anyway um and while he was delivering uh these things he also saw quote several manned observation posts with armed observers stationed around the compound there are also local reports of people hearing automatic gunfire coming from the compound on a regular basis okay so these things get reported and start to raise some questions about what's going on um, at Mount Carmel. Blah, blah, blah. What's going on oh, at Mount did, Carmel? Oh, did you hear that the other... Oh, mm. see? Why did we do that one? <laughs> oh, <laughs> aluminium powder is uh, quite a thing. <laughs> um, there are also some ex-members um, who are starting to tell on the group, um, including people uh, like David Block, who interestingly had uh, not long uh, previously been deprogrammed by Rick Ross. Oh, interesting. Um, which is a whole... I think we should do a Rick Ross episode, maybe. I have had that, point. like, near the top um, of my list for since we some, started. Yeah. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff to talk about there. A hundred percent. I think. Um, so, yeah. So there were also sort of people that had been involved in the group starting to come forward and say um, that they thought some dodgy things were going on and that there was a sort of that there'd been discussion at Mount Carmel about uh, building and amassing kind of explosives, that there'd been the sound of explosives um, and that that was something that was actively going on. And that's, that's mm-hmm. people like Block, that's people like Brailt, that's people like uh, Savenka. Um, who are, so there's a number of people that have been part of the group that are saying this. Isn't it, and not to do a spoiler, uh, but isn't it amazing that the like downfall of this comes from gun controls rather than like child protection or protection of the women as we covered in the previous episode that sort of didn't come to very much how many times sam have we um have we reported that in a story that child protection services come in and go oh it's a bit iffy but we can't do anything go away and Mm -hmm. then something horrendous happens and again i guess that is one of those things right where it is a tricky thing because it's so bound up with family and parental rights, rights and, and yeah. privacy and what is appropriate or isn't appropriate or how like it's muddy stuff you know i wouldn't yeah. want to work as a social in social services and have to make those calls oh, about no. when people get taken away yeah no but also sometimes maybe people need to get taken away um so i think in this instance <laughs> not to be a hardliner yeah, about it but pretty much for sure here yeah, but yeah. that's just what the new world order wants you to think. Oh Sam. yeah, sorry. Um, so they've got all this uh, information, but yeah, here's the thing: what what do you do with that information? How much sort of real probable cause do you have? How much do you take action? How do you judge that line? Especially in this context where there's, you know, a real cultural thing around the legal ownership of firearms. Um, etc etc um, and so ATF special agent Davy uh, Aguilera 
um, who I like to picture as Christina Aguilera while reading this first bit. But Immediately what I pictured you, as well. <laughs> you, yeah. you do you, listeners. Um, is sort of increasingly finding all of this information um, about the sort of the scale of gun ownership and, and the other things that they're having there. Um, Sam, if you just reach behind you, do you see where my... Um, you'll have to look, probably. Um, do you see where my blue sparkly diary is? And then there are some books underneath it. Yeah, that book with the that cover. Spoiler. Oh, who would have thought? Uh, so I'm just going to show you, Sam. Let's see what you think. Okay. So here's a photograph of a sample yeah. of the weapons recovered from Mount Carmel following the fire. And let's see if you think that's that's too many weapons. I mean, for how many people? <laughs> because, yes, that is too many. A sample of. I've written in my notes in capital letters, lots and lots and lots and lots of guns. Yeah. I can't describe it any better. Lots and lots and buckets of things and... Yeah. Like, surely there aren't enough hands in the Branch Davidians for each of them those guns to be held. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, here's the... Again, so this is how, how wonderfully spinnable either way this story is. Yeah. So it seems that they were, for a time, sort of running a legal guns and survival gear business okay called imaginatively david koresh survival wear which is a fashion line i do not want any part you've got to see their spring summer 23 (laughs) get the new vogue get the new vogue they've got the the new koresh line um uh and so uh so i just noticed that i've written in my notes if your church has a survival store beware exclamation mark Wow. Um, you come to this podcast for the best advice. Which I think is fair. Yeah. Um, but they didn't have a gun license. They didn't have a license to sell firearms. They had a guy whose license they sometimes used, McMahon. Right. And so they sometimes would sort of sell a couple of things through him. Enough to, like a money laundering sort of thing, do a, th- a couple of things correctly in order to... Yeah, I build guess the legitimacy. So. So kind of, so there is, you know, so there's potentially a run of like, oh, well, you know, these are just Americans that, you know, believed in their own right to have guns and, and wanted to supply other people with them. Mm. Um, I will point out, though, uh, that McMahon sold 223 weapons to Koresh, uh. um, but only sold seven of them on for him around September 1992. So 216 weapons yeah. laying around. That took me way too long to do that. Bit no, of that was good. I, would, I wouldn't have. I, we could have been here all week and I wouldn't have worked <laughs> that out. So. Um, so that seems to suggest they were um, they were stockpiling. Um, not only that, but they were also purchasing the parts to build guns. So here's another fun thing. So you can buy these parts to build AR-15s. No. Um, but it's illegal if they had assembled more than 50 of them and not paid the relevant tax. If they'd otherwise just assembled... 49 49 of them. Or 100 and paid the tax for building them. Totally fine. Gross, 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 gross. So this is what is kind of interesting, is that there's no real proof of anything illegal going on. But the scale of weapons being sort of gathered 
and the context of the group is kind of alarming. Yeah, but alarming doesn't equal illegal. Yeah. So the ATF really thought they were building um, an arsenal. Would they, um, which they are. And yeah, 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 after the events, that's kind of proved um, uh, correct. But yeah, so it's a, I'm just going to go down the list of some of the stuff they had, uh, Sam, um, which uh, is titled here in my notes... A list of things John definitely understands. <laughs> On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me... Two times .50 caliber BEMs. 34 AR-15 assault rifles. 61 M16 assault rifles. 61 AK-47 rifles. Five... Five... M15 <laughs> rifles. Oh, no. 60 pistols, thousands of pounds of ammo, 21 silencers, and grenades, including grenades that are live, and numerous gunpoints and other things as well. Um, apologies, maybe some of those things I've mispronounced or, or I'm not articulating the right way around, but that's a fuckload of... That's a lot of things, Of yeah. weapons, and a range of weapons, and lots of, you know, there's a big debate in America now about assault rifles and why sure. you need those if you're a private citizen. Yeah. Um yeah that's what that's what loads of these sort of are um so there's this sense that maybe koresh is preparing for a battle and from what we know of that apocalyptic kind of view and language in the group it doesn't seem unreasonable that those two things are connected nope so there's also sort of information coming from other people we've mentioned child protective services so joyce sparks who was part of texas child protective services had said that koresh had told her quote he was the messenger from God that the world was coming to an end and that when he reveals himself, the riots in Los Angeles that had recently happened would pale in comparison to what was going to happen in Waco, Texas. Koresh stated that it would be a military-type operation and that all the non-believers would have to suffer. What a totally chill thing for a cult leader to say. Yeah, so he but also like... wasn't like hiding his dreams of a a military um confrontation making clear threats to life yeah yeah and again it's sort of it's one of those sort of self-fulfilling prophecy things right if you if you believe you're supposed to have this final battle actually from some of the other um reading that i did it seems like they the branch divisions originally thought the battle would sort of would start and would happen in israel you know we talked about them buying some land and trying to set up a group there hey hey guys can we go to israel Um, now so that was sort of part of the idea that they'd go there and that's where it would start Mm -hmm. and then part of what changed in koresh's theology eventually was that the idea that it would happen in in the states yeah um so yeah it's just so kind of clear if you think that's going to happen and you're stockpiling weapons and a, you know you're and yeah. are saying this is going to happen not just like this might yeah just saying out loud like to the, someone that's the there to protect your children of everything yeah. depends on this happening <sighs> yeah that's kind of a, it's not great um robin buns uh <laughs> whose name robin buns and stealing biscuits something potential i haven't noticed until <laughs> i said it out loud there uh these, these are I feel like I say this every episode now. These are some of the last light bits, listeners, before we get into... I mean, sure, uh, there's got to be. Uh, said that Koresh uh, in the compound would show them really violent war movies 
as training videos. Okay. Okay. But his last attempt at a military operation didn't go very well. No. No. But, uh, but well, that's maybe why they needed to watch, um, watch. Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Um, I know. Would that have been... I don't know if that would have been out. Like, oh, I don't um, know. Das Boot. Das. <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me so much. I think it was the way you made eye contact with me and said it so playfully. Um and he would regularly quote Jesus saying, um, if you do not have a sword, go and sell your cloak and buy one. But what if I do not have a cloak, David? <laughs> whatever whatever you have to hand. Okay. Uh, totally chill things for a Messiah to say. Um, <clears throat> so all of this sort of comes to the big question of, was it justified for them to get a search and arrest warrant? And like, how do you make that decision yeah but they're amassing all these weapons you have people from the group saying hey they're really thinking Mm. that there's going to be a final battle that they're going to have to fight yeah i guess the answer is i don't know like we can ask lots of questions about the way they go about it coming up but yeah you you can see why i've written in my notes was it was it justified for a search and arrest warrant almost certainly yes (laughs) Probably, which I, yeah. Which I think is true. Um, it's yeah, post not death, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think leaning, leaning strongly to death. Um, so they get a warrant to arrest Koresh and to search Mount Carmel, and this is where it gets controversial. Um, they decide on uh, what's called dynamic entry. Title of my sex tape, <laughs> um, which uh, means rapid entry into and through a location depending on supi- surprise, speed, and domination. Right. So rather than surrounding a site yeah. and Ooh, calling out, yeah. you just go in, you sweep through it, right. you just sort of dominate in that time period. Okay. Um, so that was what they decided to do. Yeah. Um, again, there are lots of questions of like, why did they do that? Why didn't they wait for Koresh to, to go into town? Uh, to yeah, buy go to some penny sweets yeah. and, and get him there. But there are lots of reasons that, that that might not have been a good idea. Not least, he didn't regularly leave, mm-hmm. or at least it's not as much as other people. So that could have been, you know, any time at what time. Yeah. Um, they were worried that if they arrested him off-site, that that would give enough warning back at the compound somehow that then they could dispose of evidence or they could prep for... Like there were lots. Yeah. They sort of did look at these other scenarios that they criticised for not doing, mm-hmm. um, and decide for whatever reason that that was the that that was the best one. Um, so the ATF and the National Guard start to work together on this. Okay, they work together on training, um, and the National Guard also supply helicopters, which leads us to more controversy in the world of politics, freedom. Yeah. etc in the states so there's a thing called the posse commentatus act bless you forgive me if i've mispronounced that from 1878 funnily enough my uh right-wing militia drag name is uh is pussy commentatus <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's um that's just for me um and that prohibits the use of military equipment and personnel being used against citizens yeah although in 1981 and 1989, there are exceptions that are made that, oh, well, actually, you can train them 
other people to do that and in some cases you can do that right. particularly around like the drug war sure. that's actually mainly what they put those exceptions in for mm-hmm. um but yeah it's sort of a landmark piece of that kind of you know freedom legislation in the states that yeah the, they can't use the military against you which they they lean on the uh the exceptions in this instance because the atf had claimed that there was a meth lab at mount carmel Okay, but yeah, it had no evidence for it. Partial, you know, if I was Snopes, partially true. Right, okay, yeah. Um, George Roden, who we'll remember from last episode. Yeah. He had actually let two drug users, makers, um, have a portion of the site to work on. Okay. They left when Koresh took over. Yeah. And um, can you guess who tipped off the ATF that... um? That the meth lab had been there? No. Uh, Koresh had reported it. Fuck's sake. Yeah. Uh, and That's at what the I was going to say. Then I was like, no, that'd be And at the time, offered dumb. to let them inspect the compound where that drug den had been. Okay. But they were like, nah, it's all right. We'll wait for you to do something deadlier. So again, like, we can talk about how, you know, the various issues around that. But yeah. mm, kind yeah. of stretching the truth. It's kind of ironic that they didn't take the opportunity for, you know... Uh, there were also some, they claimed, made a big deal out of the fact that some members of the group had drug convictions, but mostly that right. was like weed possession and stuff like that. Yeah, it was the not, reason that current. so many people are in jail in America. Um, yeah. But that was what they sort of lent on in order to, to get the excuse to, to militarize this raid okay. as well. <clears throat> so um, in terms of the decision-making process, they go for this dynamic entry. Uh, later, the Treasury report says, quote, the ATF plans reasonably concluded that a polite request to search the compound without readiness to use force would have been foolhardy and irresponsible. Okay. They've got these past examples of wrongdoing. They've got the hoarding of the guns. They've got the kind of the extreme views that they're learning the group has, the violence that has sort of already been connected to them. Mm-hmm. So they make this, this call that that's the way they're going to go. So... um. The day before the raid, as I say, this newspaper article had been printed that was like exposing yeah. David Koresh. On the um, day of the raid, oh, I'm going to mispronounce all of these names. Thibodeau, it's his surname, uh, who's one of the members, uh, says, quote, <clears throat> that Saturday seemed to go on forever. So that was the day that the article had, uh, had come out. Yeah. Uh, I watched the Texas sunset that evening and felt like I was living in a highly symbolic moment. The end of our world, if not the end of the whole world. I was simultaneously exhilarated and terrified. Yeah. I didn't want to die, but I was now so identified with the community that the prospect of sharing its biblical destiny made my heart thump with excitement. It troubled me, though, that I might never see my family again, especially my mother, who, by the light of our faith, would be damned. Wow. The so, strength of the us and them yeah. and the division. And just that like it... the publication of that article yeah. put this idea before the raid, before any of that was known, mm-hmm. into the heads that like they were coming to a a key moment yeah. that it was going to be them against the world. Well, I bet the ATF were pissed off about the article. They're like, no, oh, you pissed them all off yeah 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 there's some interesting stuff around the media which we'll come to um later on um here's another totally chill thing for a cult leader to say cool 
um, this was Koresh, uh, who said, uh, I think on this day, <clears throat> if there's a problem, tell them to come over here. If they want to see my guns, they're more than welcome. Oh, um, no, no, thank you, David. No, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. So, um, we get to the Sunday and they begin Operation Trojan Horse, or what the teams also referred to as Showtime. Fuck's sake. You do sort of get the impression, and this is just me editorialising now, yeah. that a lot of these law enforcement folks just had a real boner to do a big military raid. Yeah, but that that's a whole... That, that feels like the whole thing of all of it. Like, look at my giant collection of dicks. Sorry, yeah. guns. Like... Yeah. You know? yeah, I guess that's on yeah, that's on both sides, isn't it? They're yeah. both sort of a bit hard to um yeah, to have a scuff. So um seventy-five ATF agents um are getting ready to mobilize and go. Um on that morning, two of the branch Davidians, uh David and Donald, go into town to try and buy the paper from the previous day. They couldn't buy it the previous day because that was the Sabbath Sam. Oh, because they and they couldn't go shopping. Yeah, right. So they had okay. to go the next day to see if there were any left in the shops. Yeah. that they could then uh, buy and see what was going on. Yeah. Um, My mom's asked for it. She wants the cutting of when I was in the newspaper. <laughs> David's scrapbook has the perfect page. Oh, I don't know why Valley Girl is back. I wasn't. I was. I like I told her. It's myself okay. I wouldn't do any voices in this episode as a yeah. mark of respect, and I'm mm. sorry that hasn't happened yet. Um, it wasn't. You haven't done so much voices so much as changes of pitch and shoulder movement. Yeah, I think that's fine. Um, so, uh, while they're in town, Donald is arrested, but then never charged with anything. Okay. Uh, uh, David bumps into a camera crew Ooh. in town. Uncomfortable. Who ask him where Mount Carmel is so that they could film the raid that was going to take place. <gasps> oh. So, he hears this and immediately... I've sort of heard different accounts of it. I think the more reliable one is that he drives to a place where he can call the compound and he calls his dad. Right. Um, uh, Hi, Dad. I'm really sorry I couldn't get the newspaper, but... <laughs> um, so, there's a big question of how this crew knew. Supposedly, there were a fair yeah. few media people in town who mysteriously knew that this raid was going to take place. Right. Um, I mean, either the ATF tipped them off Right. Um, there's also a claim that maybe it was um, they'd also got ambulances and things on standby and that it was a member of the ambulance uh, firm. Sure. Yeah. And then. Well, I mean, slip. 75 agents, you're going to have, you know, tens of ambulance staff. Yeah. You can't expect them all to not. Yeah. Tell so there's them, a few like, ways oh, we're going to do been, this. Yeah. It might have been a leaky operation. Um there's lots of stuff about the ATF really wanting good coverage of them doing something in order to... They were, like, they were like a series of votes on funding and stuff coming up. So there's a little bit of a suggestion right. that they wanted to make sure that it happened, that it was good, and that it was, you know, fucking documented. And, yeah. Um, but what that meant was, in terms of the security of the operation, that tip-off has disastrous consequences. Yeah, of course. Okay, Robert Rodriguez. As part of the investigation that had been taking place into Mount Carmel, the ATF had rented a house directly opposite the compound. Oh my God, you absolute fucking weenies. Um, where uh, Robert Rodriguez, posing as uh, Robert Gonzalez, moves in 
<laughs> Are you John Nash? No, I'm John Mash. I'm my uh, UCAS card when I was a student was yeah. John Vash. Oh, it's like that guy sounds dynamic. And cool. <laughs> That's my uh, my alter ego. Great. Um, so he turned up. He'd started attending Bible studies and uh, had sort of seen guns at Mount Carmel. Um, he'd gone shooting at the range with Koresh a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently not great at being undercover. It seems like basically all of them at the compound were like, well, I wonder who he's working for undercover. <laughs> I'm picturing uh, just like a man in a black suit with the, the sun, like a men in black yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's got like, hello, my name is Robert Rodriguez, crossed out Gonzalez. Gonzalez. Yeah. That's kind of the implication from, yeah. from the various things that I read. There's a story that... Um, uh he sort of would go oh i'm i'm not really that into guns really and koresh was like well come and yeah come and come shooting with us that'll be great uh do you want one of our guns and he went oh no i'll go and i'll go and get the gun that i've got and then came in with like this really specialist weapon and at that point koresh was like yeah this guy oh fuck's sake (laughs) right i definitely is is not on the level but they sort of yeah they're immediately like this guy's a bit a bit sus yeah um his job was to be at Mount Carmel that morning to make sure everything was clear for the raid. Okay, yeah. Hey, uh, Tina, the shifty guy is just trying to clear out space well, for, for 18 ambulances. So, his house so, was opposite. so he'd obviously come yeah. over really early that Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, and then this is what happens. So he's in the room uh, when... Uh, so uh, David uh, Jones has rung his dad, who's in the compound, who comes and tells Koresh. Koresh mm-hmm. then comes into the room with other people and goes, hey, the ATF and the National Guard are on their way. And at this point, <laughs> Gonzalez uh, leaves quickly, telling them he had to go and meet someone for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, which, in terms of lame excuses, yeah. is like... Oh, we're, we're going to get raided by the... Uh, oh, that's really... Oh, I've got... Mm, I've just got to go and feed my cat. I'm really sorry. toaster <laughs> booked for... Uh, oh, the mimosas will go... Um, the shakshuka is go so good. But, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Ludicrous. Oh. Um, but for whatever reason, they let him go. Probably because he's a fucking liability. Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. So he leaves um, and he calls the raid commanders and says look they know you're coming yeah the 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 you know the raid is compromised but they decide that they're just going to go ahead anyway okay um which i think is probably a bad move uh hot yeah. take i mean it's kind of interesting the the there's a good documentary on um channel four um online in two parts um and robert gonzalez is in that and you know it talks about it in an interesting way yeah but just from the way i read it it just sounds like the worst kind of comedy farce version of being yeah, undercover sure. that you can possibly uh possibly imagine yeah and they thought he was like undercover for for maybe like tax purposes or like maybe right okay another thing from the job like they were like we'll let him just do his thing yeah he's not gonna see anything really we can see him but yeah. let's keep him over there um but anyway so Again, this is another thing where you go, okay, so you have this decision at this moment. Mm-hmm. They know that you're coming now. What do you do? And they make the decision that they're going to go ahead. 9.45, cattle trailers enter the driveway and three National Guard helicopters move overhead. Most of the rest of this is going to be a little bit like they said, they said. Well, because what what else? Yeah. Um, so the, ca- the camera crews are nearby? Yeah. Yeah. So that's already happening. 
there's a load of sort of yeah ATF uh, sort of ground mm-hmm. officers moving in um, and these helicopters. Um, the reports and everything official says that the uh, there were no shots ever fired from the helicopters. Like all of the Branch Davidians that survive, no matter yeah. how pro or anti everything that happened, they are all say that there were shots from the helicopters. Right. Um, one of them gets shot in a water tower. Okay. Yeah. Which seems unlikely if he was from a shot ground from infantryman. Ground. Yeah. But who knows? They say they didn't shoot from the copters. They didn't, or you yep. know, or maybe they shot things that were just like noisemakers from the copters to try and intimidate them, and that you know, yeah, who knows, who knows, who knows. Uh, this is probably not the right time for a joke, but I imagined a funny uh, comedy bit where the person is with their handgun in the water tower, and the helicopter makes a noise, and he goes, whoa, 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 and then that's how it happens. That that yeah, yeah. I mean, so much of this is like the most tragic kind of. Of course, yeah. Um, I promise, I'm not going to be making light no, of no, the rest no, of I'm, this death. I know that's not what you're doing. Yeah, I think there's, yeah, that kind of mess and confusion. But also, there's so much now that I'm going to say, you just have to decide, listeners. Yeah. How much of one or the other you you believe? So the agents race up to the entrance of the complex of buildings, um, and Koresh is standing there unarmed outside the main doorway which has two doors okay um thank you for describing what two doors no that's like. going to be relevant yeah, don't, got don't, it, don't got worry it. That's, i'm not just <laughs> and you know you use that to get into the but do you know what i mean yeah. sam it's like these things the portals and to... they move and they move and that sort of in that swingy swingy yeah yeah on a, hit, on a hinge you, see, you maybe have heard of them i doors. understand thank you that's what they've got <laughs> so he says What's going on? There are women and children in here. Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, they say, police search warrant, get down, aim their weapons at him. He goes, reverses sort of back inside, slamming the front doors shut. Yeah. Then a hail of bullets come through the door, hitting him and Percy Jones, who's the dad of David who rang in from right. town. Um, the ATF claim... That the first shots came from inside. Yeah. And that then they shot. The Branch Davidians say that the first shots came in at that point. Yeah. And Koresh went in. Mm-hmm. And then they shot back in response to that. I think with it, like like you said, because they've all got boners to shoot each other. Um, someone gets scared and yeah. shoots and then everyone starts shooting. Yeah. Like it's, it's exactly on one like side or the other. Um. Uh, when uh, there's a um, uh, some people that go onto the site later, uh, they say that the door uh, showed shots both ways in yeah. it, but most of them from the outside, yeah, like, really heavily weighted that way. Um, one of those two doors then is missing after the raid in terms of the right. evidence. I remember reading a, um, a conspiracy book years ago when I was a, a young person. Um, that was there was an article in it which was like all the things that are missing that would solve conspiracies. Oh so like, shit! Yeah. Oh, you could check exactly where things entered Kennedy's uh, brain because part of his brain was taken to be preserved. Yeah. But then it went missing. Uh huh. You could find out who shot first in the Waco siege if you looked at the door. But guess what? It's the door gone. went missing. Yeah. Now, actually, although that seemed very plausible to me at 
14 reading uh the disinformation guide everything you know is wrong yeah um it doesn't prove anything right because no. it just means there are holes from both way if there were only holes one way yeah then that would prove something mm-hmm. but if there are holes both ways yeah it doesn't tell you anything and it doesn't it, tell you anything about the sequence or the motivation or and the wood being not a living being it would not have healed to see yeah. which shot was first um and yeah yeah now there is lots of controversy about the door itself being missing as as evidence yeah um but there are various stories that maybe during spoiler alert some of what happens later it melts or right. just you know d- gets destroyed too much that way or one of the boners takes it as a souvenir or it's possibly a, yeah. um uh, that it was deliberately destroyed uh, shredded uh, like in monsters inc yeah um because of the tanks and things later on there's a chance that maybe it just got dragged away in the wreckage and buried like yeah. there are lots of things that might uh yeah that might explain that um there's another big uh maybe i'll write it down maybe i've written it down later on but there's another thing about another piece of evidence that was missing um, right uh uh about that that was sort of held for a long time um and it was then found um in the evidence stores and just hadn't been you know catalogued or put forward okay. and everything um and part of the this very nice book from oxford university press he was saying which kind of undoes the idea that people were hiding evidence because the worst place to hide evidence is in the evidence it's locker. With the this evidence. Is a very sophisticated yeah. plan. But that's like a big, yeah, that's mm-hmm. become a big sort of mythological sort of point of trying to work out who's telling the truth here mm-hmm. um, and who isn't. Um, so during this initial um, skirmish, four ATF agents are killed. Uh, Conway LeBleur, Todd McKeon, Robert Williams and Steve Willis. Who shot who? is sort of unknown again yeah. in the in the confusion and run of it uh later on some of the surviving branch davidians um are are um prosecuted or tried at least for aiding and abetting manslaughter in relation to them and there's also an attempt by the atf to get into the building they go up onto the rooftop try and get in through windows they throw flashbang grenades okay in um there's definitely some sort of shooting out and shooting in mm-hmm. um it's amazing in that channel 4 documentary they're interviewing some of the survivors and one of them is going yeah so i saw this guy trying to shoot into the building and i thought uh my friends and family are in there so i'm gonna shoot you and yeah i did shoot him yeah and i would do it again yeah it's really interesting yeah. to hear them sort of talk about it in like a calm this it, is the decision i had to make in the yeah. moment kind of way six branch davidians died okay so perry jones yeah so he was injured in that door yeah. skirmish. And then it seems like he was either put out of his misery by a Branch Davidian mm-hmm. or he shot himself. Right, He's okay. got like a close-up wound. Yeah. Um, Jaden Wendell, who was shot probably while in, in gun battle with the ATF. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Hipsman, who had four shots, according to the Branch Davidians, two from a helicopter... And wow. two from them then putting him out of his misery. Okay. Uh, Peter Ghent, who was in the water tower, who was shot by the ATF, either by a helicopter or a really good sniper. Yeah. Uh, Winston Blake, who was shot either... So there were two examinations on him. Right. One in the States. And yeah. then he was taken to the UK for a second examination. Okay. And the two reports concluded entirely different things. One said he was either shot close up... Uh, which would mean it was a Branch Davidian. Yeah. 
or from a distance by uh, munitions that had travelled through something like a wall. Okay. Either or, it's not a, the same as with the others. The it's not two both exams are true. Yeah. Said those two different things that the nature Fuck's of the sake. wound meant it okay. would either be one or the other, and you can sort of see like the idea that it would be um, this sort of uh, like big, jagged, close-up wound, right? Because yeah. Because of the um, proximity. Yeah. And that that would mean there would be like stuff in Shrapnel-y the wound. bits. Yeah. Um, like and powder and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's why they say it must have been close up and therefore must have been a Branch Davidian on purpose or by accident. Yeah. And then the other report looks at that and says, well, actually, that's probably a really high powered round that's come through other things. And yeah. all the shrapnel and stuff is the stuff it's come through. It's the wall that it's come through. So yeah. almost. A, and, th- okay. and that's what all of this story is like. Yeah. But you, either way, this man decide. is dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Michael Schroeder, um, who fired at agents and then was shot. Okay. Or... Oh, no. Uh, ...was uh, innocent uh, and unarmed. He was... So some uh, of the Branch Davidians had been out at... I think they had like a... Oh, was it like a shop or a... So there was some kind of outside part that was more open and... Right. Uh, ...whatever. And when this started, they ran back toward the building. And yeah. And the agents came after them. Okay. Um, and while that was happening, um, Schroeder was standing... Um, sort of by the complex of buildings as the agents came up. They say that he was armed and then right. they took him out. Uh, and then the Branch Davidians say that he was unarmed. They shot him and then must have planted the gun that was near him Kay. later on. Um, oh, there we go. Here's the, th- here's the other thing. So he was wearing a cap uh, that was missing during the deliberations about what had happened to him. That was the cap that then turned up in the evidence locker. Cool. A bad place to hide evidence. But again, like... Yeah maybe would have had some information about what his wounds were and where he was. And yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, at the time, Koresh also claimed that a child of about two had been Ooh. killed. Yep. But there's no evidence of that. Okay. There's no name for that child. There's no, there's no body of that child. There's nothing. Right. Um, so perhaps that was something he just said to make it more worse yeah yeah uh, or maybe a child was injured and he kind of overplayed that one sure whatever so the raid had started at 9 45 yeah at 9 47 uh, uh that hasn't all happened in that no. time but at 9 47 branch davidian wayne martin called 911 and got through to larry lynch the deputy sheriff um and said look there's 75 men around our building shooting there are women and children in here tell them to call it off and he hangs up yeah. The sheriff rings back and they have a longer conversation, um, sort of like a running chat, um, until the cease until a ceasefire is eventually called two hours later. Wow. So okay. there's two hours of this kind of siege standoff. Yeah. Madness. And Martin again says during those conversations, we're being shot at from helicopters. Mm-hmm. By the same sort of measure of true or not, the ATF agents also thought they were being shot at from machine guns inside right of okay which there doesn't seem to be evidence that that's the case no so both sides are confused both sides are paranoid both sides are sort of losing the plot a little bit yeah so then the fbi arrive and sort of start to take over to go well, how are we gonna what do we do now mm-hmm. um koresh clearly thinks this is it yeah uh he goes on radio that evening right um from the compound uh, and says, quote, <clears throat> you see now people are going to lose their lives over this. 
Now, the next event, we are in the fifth seal right now. You'll remember he loves his seals. He loves seals. Um, the next event will take place... Uh, the next event that will take place is the sun and the moon and the stars will be darkened, just like Joel 2 and the prophets preach. Okay. I'm going home. I'm going back to my father. You will see the son of man coming in the clouds with gl- great glory and power. This is his apocalypse. Yeah. He's like, They've this fucked is going to yeah. happen. I'm going to go home. Yep. And then come back and, and the apocalypse will mm-hmm. begin. So this all sort of happens in this calamitous two hours on the first day. And I didn't realise this, or certainly the length of this. There are then, Sam, 51 days of a siege. Oh my gosh. I didn't know it was that long either. No. Insane. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. So depending... What what was 51 days ago? Like September or something? October. Yeah. Yeah. Long. Yeah. Long. Um, So depending on who you believe... That's either 51 days of negotiation mm. and really trying to work out a, a way for everyone to, to sort of settle and, and leave yeah. safely. Um, or it's 51 days of psychological warfare yeah, man. from the ATF and FBI. Or both. Against, yeah. I mean, what I've written is it's something in the middle. Right? Yeah, yeah like, sure. There's a, I think there's really a sense in which the ATF and FBI then don't want to be seen to climb down yeah. or admit error. Yeah. And that just makes it so much worse. Just doubling down on their doubling down on their shooting. The books suggest that a better understanding of the theology and of new religious movements would have helped during the negotiations. Yeah. They did sometimes bring people in. Uh, You might remember, Sam, from our favourite podcast other than our own, Ono, Ross and Carrie. Yeah. uh, That lots of people sort of offer help uh to understand Koresh and what's going on mm-hmm. um during this time, including the guy whose name I can't remember who does the reverse speech uh, oh, yes, thing. So he that claims yeah. that he sent in his reverse speech recordings of Koresh to help them understand him and his motivation. Sure. Um, which I'm sure he did send them in. I'm sure they didn't take them very seriously. Yeah. Um I mean that's what's amazing about this is that there are s- there's so much documentation. There are the nine one one recorded tapes, there's the tapes of all the negotiations. Um, before and during the raid and after the raid, uh, the FBI get bugs into the building. So wow, um, okay. Like they so they're do able to... initially put like food parcels and things in. Yeah. And the Branch Davidians talk about well, we'd take it in and we'd take everything apart and we'd find like ten bugs yeah. in this small bag of things. But some of the bugs did get in, or some of the bugs that maybe had been planted earlier, yeah, were in that building. Okay. And also recording. Yeah. So there's huge, like wow. I only listened to a fraction of it. But yeah, there is there are recordings of like everything, all the tapes negotiating oh, with Koresh and other people, yeah. all the nine one one tapes, all the recordings from mm-hmm. the bugs. It's in like the volume of stuff is yeah. like, even compared to like the Jonestown tapes, it's huge. Yeah, yeah, it's because to have something documented like that. Yeah, like Love Has Won, like the hours yeah. and hours and hours of videos that you've got there, and the um. Uh, nature boy and yeah, yeah i guess it's the start of that right that now technology makes it yeah. possible for everything to be documented or like um you know some of the leaked uh videos that came out of nexium um, yeah of uh, ranieri doing his creepy uh shit uh yeah so yeah so it's, it's really extraordinary so um the fbi hostage recovery team 
um, are sort of running a negotiation yeah. conversation about how this is going to um, how this is going to come out. On the second of March, there's an agreement that if the FBI would arrange for a prime time national radio broadcast of a Branch Davidian message. The Branch Davidians would, quote, come out peacefully with all of their people immediately. Okay, that sounds fine. So on the 2nd of March at 2.30pm, they broadcast um, a message from the Branch Davidians. Right. That evening at 6pm, nobody's come out of the building, of the complex, Mm -hmm. and Koresh gets in touch with them and says, oh... Yeah, turns out God uh, has changed his mind oh, and is telling me convenient. to wait. Yeah, okay. For what reason? How genuine that is? Yeah. Again, who knows? It is entirely conceivable to me that the thing in Koresh's head that he thought was God speaking to him told him to wait. Yeah. It's entirely conceivable to me that that was just a bullshit excuse. Yep. Yeah. Because he didn't think they'd do it, and yeah. they did it, and then he didn't know what to do. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, two Branch Davidians later claim that during this time, there was a plan starting to formulate about a mass suicide. Right, okay. Um, the idea was that they would, quote, blow the place up, and that some people would be put to sleep with injections, and that everyone, as a result, would then be translated Oh, on great. to the next level all that horrible euphemistic language we've heard from yeah. other groups um, there are a number of people that say that Yeah. there are also some recordings I think from the bugs where there's a conversation of like well I want to you know I, I want to go to sleep you'll put me to sleep right when, when that happens Yeah. that could be could be metaphorical that could be metaphorical that could be talking about something else but could be talking about that, that yeah right yeah all of it is is grey area, isn't yeah. it? All of it is. Um, so, branch Davidians do leave though during this yeah. time. There are several like sort of negotiated releases where people are allowed out. Okay. Um, between the second of March and the twenty third of March, uh, thirty five people leave. Yeah. Twenty one of them are twelve or younger. Okay. Cool. Uh, six of them are over sixty. Okay. And then there are some mothers, and one woman. Who Koresh kicks out for smoking. Uh, okay. I mean, great. Good priorities. What a good Koresh. reason to not get killed in a raid. But interestingly, yeah. one of the things that she says later was that that was like, I was disobedient to him. Smoking was banned. Right. I smoked. He didn't want anyone. The reason he was happy for some people to go yeah. was that they are the people that might not listen to him, that might be less dedicated, okay. that might get in the way. Yeah, man. Ooh. So not necessarily as kind a move in some respects as so much as a tactical one. Well, yeah, tactical, but in the end saved that lady's life. Yeah, yeah, Re- yeah, yeah, really interesting. Um, no children leave after the 5th of March. Child-wise, it's mostly just Koresh's children okay. that are left. Oh, man, um, He's got this smaller, more obedient group. Yeah. There are less vulnerable people, like mm-hmm. the elderly. It's just the, yeah the faithful all the time the negotiators are talking to koresh yeah there's bonkers transcripts in this book where they're reading sections of the bible 
and then he's explaining what those sections of the Bible mean to them. Okay. They are like in conversation with him for hours and hours and hours. <sighs> it's bonkers. Sounds so boring. <laughs> yeah. That's a long time to humour a guy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, on the 9th of March, uh, they cut all power. Gosh, um, right. And water to the compound. Um, on the 15th of March, there's a face-to-face meeting outside um, where sort of legal issues are raised around whether the initial raid will be investigated or not. That's one of the things the Branch Davidians want to have happen. Right. They want guarantees around that, that evidence yeah. of that will be preserved. Mm-hmm. Both teams are sort of negotiating for that to happen. During this conversation, really interestingly, the Branch Davidians say, well, the other negotiator in this team is God, so we'll have to go and wait for signs for God on how he feels about what we've just negotiated. Um, and he's at the moment telling us to wait and not come out or do anything yet. Right, okay. Which again, if you're a negotiator for all the things that they seem to do that are not great, yeah. how do you negotiate with a group and their whether real or not god (laughs) yeah that is a that's a tough like if i've done my i've got my uh nvq in negotiation sam yeah that has not prepared me to negotiate with actual god with actual god that actually communicates through the person that you're trying to negotiate with is a silent partner in yeah. your negotiations because yeah. you could just as easily go well god told me yeah yeah and no fucking didn't he's my god and yeah. that's the thing you know yeah. again lots of the i think quite right stuff is saying well if they just sort of known a bit more or understood a bit more about the group and what they believed and mm-hmm. that, that maybe would have helped in the tactics in the negotiation but that still doesn't help you have to then negotiate yeah with with nothing yeah, and yeah, with everything yeah Oh, that was much more profound than I intended. (laughs) Very good. Um, Yeah, interesting. Um, At this point, um, they fly helicopters over the compound regularly at night. Uh, They use searchlights. They install these big blaring searchlights and just blast the windows all through the night. Torturing Um, them. And they play music on loudspeakers. Yeah. Uh, Would you like to guess what song they uh, play? Uh, Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. I'm going to chase all your cares away. No. God gave rock and roll to you. Um, They play Nancy Sinatra singing These Boots Were Made For Walking. Oh, gosh. Okay. And that's just what they'll do. One of these days, mm. these boots are going to walk all over you. All right. Which is pretty gross. Yeah. Um, and as you say, is sort of, is you know, we've touched on psychological warfare before now. Yeah. That's absolutely what it is. Um, it kind of feels a bit, the sort of the language of that song in retrospect seems kind of sick. Yep. Yeah. It's really interesting. Gross. Um, gross. And interesting as well, here's a, Am I going to tell this story? Yeah, sure. So we might have alluded on the podcast previously um, that John used to go to lots of protest things in different ways, um, including uh, protests where we'd camp outside something that was bad for the environment for a week. Yeah. And do workshops and little protests, and then maybe some people would chain themselves to things at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and John would stand nearby going, yeah. In a in a high-vis jacket, so it's legal. Um, yeah. So um, I once did that at um, in uh, near a coal-fired power station, um, and 
the quite quickly the site was surrounded by riot police when it was taken. Right. That had about, I don't know, a thousand, two thousand people camping maybe. Okay. Um and they did that shit every night. Wow. Every night the uh cops would go, Oh, we're gonna go and put our riot gear on now because we're gonna raid you tonight that would tell people at the sort of the yeah. gates of the camp. Um and then they would go away and then they would come back and they'd be in their riot gear and yeah. they'd all get out. And they'd play fucking Wagner, Ride oh of the Valkyries. God. And the helicopter would be buzzing around the site uh, with its searchlight. Yeah. And everyone would go, fuck, fuck, we're going to... We're going to get hurt. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. And then they'd do that for like an hour. Yeah. And then they'd all get back in their vans and they'd drive off. Ugh. And the helicopter would go and they'd cut the sound. And then an hour later, yeah. they'd come back and they'd... D- Ooh, so it, I guess what I'm saying is it still happens. Yeah. And it's still fucking gross. Yeah. And scary. Yeah. 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 And what's really. Yeah. Yeah. Horrendous. That you could, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I can't imagine what it would be like for the extended period that it happened here to have that. No. No, to have it for your, on. for your week or yeah. 10 days or whatever. And like, how do you, so you now don't have food coming in or out particularly um they had like um like prep meals like army yeah. prep meals um you don't have water or electricity anymore no like, some of them are you, children how do you yeah. make same decisions and negotiate no. in that state 24th and 26th of march uh two people visit oh uh one for a week one for a month okay um who are just like sort of supporters. Okay, yeah. Blows my mind. Um, some lawyers visit. So some people do sort of go in and out yeah. a little bit while this siege is happening. Um, on the 14th of April, uh, Koresh says he won't leave until he's written his seven seals message. Okay. And he was only at five, right, the other day? Yeah. yeah. And he hadn't written yeah. like, any of it down. Okay. Uh, so um, the FBI don't believe him. Mm-hmm. But they have this thing where he goes, I'm going to write my book. Um, yeah. And and there, there are transcripts again of him going, okay, I've written number one. I'm nearly finished number one. Right. So, you know, I'm making good time. I've done that in like a day and a half. So yeah. I'm making good time. But they sort of don't buy that. Yeah. Um, From the 10th of March, and then with revision on the 14th, the ATF and FBI are also planning a new raid, which would start hours or days in advance by introducing tear gas into the complex before the main raid happened. Mm -hmm. Um, This plan uh, went all the way up the chain to the Attorney General Janet Reno, who comes into for a lot of criticism for things that happen at this, and she approves it. Right, okay. So it has the official government sign-off of, yeah, you can do this. They're also getting advice from other people, so like the Cult Awareness Network say this guy's not going to back down. Yeah, you need to really think about what you're going to do because he's not you not you're not going to be able to negotiate with him. No, which is probably true. Yeah, whether that's a useful thing to be saying and advising, I also don't. Well, yeah. Know. What what difference can it make at this point? Yeah, yeah. Um, and meanwhile, there's a huge press storm outside. Sure, there are hundreds and hundreds of people um, constantly filming and documenting. Yeah. Um, and there's also a big sort of range of, of other people um, 
outside. So there's this big media camp, but then there are also like constitutionalists and right wing militia groups and sure. guns right advocates and yeah. Christians and other people sort of coming and camping and supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Stand up uh, comedian, the late great Bill Hicks and his friend Kevin Booth, they rock up for a couple of days with yeah. a video camera. You can find that on YouTube. Lovely. And just, hang out and talk about Koresh and sort of... Yeah, smoke cigarettes. Think, That's what Bill Hicks yeah, did mostly, isn't basically, it? Yeah, basically. Um, I think quite interestingly, Bill spends a lot of time going, oh, this guy like plays the guitar and smokes and gets yeah. convinced that he's God. You can kind of see how lots of us in Texas might end up <laughs> going down that line. Um, yeah, yeah, really sort of interesting. Yeah. Uh, there's a sort of a mixed local response. Some local people are kind of supportive. Some people obviously not mm-hmm. um and there are anti-government activists freedom of religion activists yeah also amongst the supporters hanging around outside is a 24 year old u.s army veteran named timothy mcveigh oh fuck's sake who yep. is there handing out is your church atf approved bumper stickers timothy mcveigh the unabomber which no, one's he uh oklahoma city oklahoma city yeah um so he's there with other people um so on April the 19th mm-hmm. at 6am, yep. combat engineering vehicles enter the site and clear all of the vehicles that the Branch Davidians have out the front, Oof. all of the small buildings, they just fucking just demolish everything. it. Fuck. Yeah. Um, and they start inserting CS gas into the building complex. Oof. They do that through handheld grenade launchers and by literally they have like little... Uh, tanks and other vehicles that come in and punch holes in the side of the building and then pump CS gas in. Oh my god. And it's a lot. Yeah. It's a, I mean, we'll get to the figures in a minute, but yeah, they just fill it with CS gas. Um, almost as soon as that happens, yeah. some fires break out in the building. Right. Which come to spread. Yes. Back to the world of who, what, how, why. Uh-huh. There is lots of debate and discussion about that. We'll go into it a little bit as we go. Um, I mean, there are realistically four possibilities. Either the Branch Davidians did it yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Or the Branch Davidians did it by accident. Or the ATF and the FBI did it on purpose. Yeah. Or the FBI or ATF did it by accident. Uh-huh. Is CS gas flammable? Let's talk about that in a minute. Okay. Um, so this is going to be fairly horrific. This is going to end by the end of this part of the story with 76 of the Branch Davidians dead. Oh, fucking hell. Uh, including 21 children who are 15 and younger. Um, and nine uh, Branch Davidians will survive and be, and be arrested. There is a good deal of evidence that the Branch Davidians intentionally started the fires. Okay. And that the FBI didn't block exits and shoot people trying to escape, which are the main sort of allegations in terms of the the really sinister view of what happens. Right. Why is there good evidence that the Branch Davidians did it themselves? Well, they found... If you believe the report, all of this is like, if you believe believe the reports and investigations... It is reported that, yeah. um, There was accelerant inside right. the building okay. like everywhere and in places that it wouldn't just end up yeah um and six of the nine branch davidians who survived mm-hmm. had traces of accelerant on their right. clothes okay um bugs in the building regularly capture people saying things like keep that fire going okay or david said have the fire outside not in here okay 
Right. Lot, there's lots of that. But then the, uh, they've got no power, so maybe they need to keep warm. <laughs> and so keep the fire going because I'm really cold. Yeah. I don't know. yeah. Or, or maybe it's like David said, keep if the there was whole a fire, fire would, you know, again. But there's yeah. but there's lots of that. They also found inside the complex afterwards um, fuel cans that had holes punctured in them, presumably right. to make it easy to spread. Make a lovely uh, watering which can. Which just happen naturally. Yeah. Um, they also found uh, traces of Molotov cocktails. Now, there are lots of questions. There's wrong info. There's missing information in all of these things. Um, But there are also um, some of the survivors who talk about seeing people pouring gasoline everywhere on on the instructions. And the fires start in four places pretty much simultaneously. Okay. So that seems kind of likely. Yeah. 6.31, they stop the gas. That's half an hour of CS gas assault. And they tell everyone to exit. Right. They then put more gas in at 7.30. And that's when the big fire starts to starts to go. Yeah. They also use these kind of flashbang pyrotechnic devices to sort of shock and, yeah. again, encourage people to leave. It is possible that those flashbang devices yeah. could yeah. possibly... Create sparks, hit accelerate, could then yeah. ignite things. Yeah, but not. It's not super likely. It's not a definite, no. but, but it's, it's not a... impossible. Yeah. At nine twenty a.m., they put in more rounds of CS gas for another two hours. Nobody leaves the compound. There are possible exits. Yeah. Nobody no one leaves. uses them. Okay. Most of the women and children. Uh, so at eleven, uh, sorry, twelve twenty, the fire department arrive and start coming in because it's now clear that there is a big fire. An actual there. fire, yeah. Um, most of the women and children die in the rear of the bunker. Gosh. Either from smoke. Yeah. Or wounds, presumably from other Branch Davidians. For example, there is one child who has stab wounds in their chest. Oh wow. Some die of sort of undetermined causes because of the yeah you know, for obvious from reasons. from the um put put them to sleep yeah. thing um and so again this is I think a big thing about like this gas plan fails and it fails in part because these people believe this is the big thing that's happening for their end of the world yeah so they don't have motivation to go no because this is where the this yeah. is where God's coming to pick us up from um, yeah. Which is pretty tragic. And it seems really likely that there were plans from weeks in advance that yeah. if this happened, they would set fires. Fucking. Yeah. And fulfill the prophecy, right? That yeah. they would have to pass through a cleansing fire mm-hmm. in order to um, to get into the next world. During this uh, raid, no FBI or ATF uh, members are killed. As the smoke clears yeah. and the fire dies down, the government uh, agents raise American, Texas and ATF flags over the ruins. And some agents pose for pictures with the red dead body found flags that are stationed through the complex. No. Buttheads. Motherfuckers. Yeah. And that is how the raid ends. Nine people get out and are arrested. Yeah. Or survive and are arrested. Everybody else has perished. So why might the Branch Davidians have sort of 
instigated this ending? Well, there's sort of strong theological reasoning within what they believe. Yeah. Everything sort of builds to this idea of the cleansing fire they pass through, Mm -hmm. that they would die during that and then come back for the actual apocalypse. Yeah. And for the actual end of the world. As a side note, Schneider, who's like the number two guy Mm -hmm. um, in the compound, he dies of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Okay. It's also likely that he was the one who shot Koresh in the head. Yeah. He dies of a, a gunshot wound. Again, it's a bit like the Jonestown thing, right? Of yeah. The leaders avoiding a the cleaner way out yeah. than the people around them. Yeah. Avoiding the messier yeah. part of um, it. But that being part of the same idea that we're all going together and we'll. Yeah. Um, so um, it's not just um, really interesting in the book and in parts of the documentary, they talk about the fact that, you know, the idea that this is all just down to Koresh telling them to do it. Yeah all of them by this point that are left kind of buy into this yeah this vision um and that death is a means by which the faithful get a new status in front of god they get to go quote under the altar and return as the sixth seal uh ready to cleanse the earth of the wicked yeah like this is important to them this is part of what mm-hmm. they believe you it's not like they it's, could have got Koresh out, and the rest of them would have. Yeah, they're not being yeah. they're not being instructed the whole time. Yeah, they part of it is is they yeah their own beliefs have been yeah. encouraged, which and, I think is really fascinating because yeah. you sort of I think with Jonestown that feels much more like one person really being able to yeah. in that in those moments brainwash people yeah and and pursue their orders, whereas this has a much more collective yeah feel, mm-hmm. which is fucking terrifying. Um, so, um, uh, basically the sort of the, the short version of this is that lots of the people that died must have been committed and made that choice yeah. right, that they were going to stay in the building and they weren't going to Yeah. Die. Well, for um, someone to, to kill a child in that way, like, yeah. yeah. So, um, nine Branch Davidians survive, uh, Norman Allison, uh, uh, Renos Avram, Brad Branch, uh, Jamie Castillo, uh, Graham Craddock, Clive Doyle, Livingston Fagan, Paul Fatter, Woodrow Kenrick, Ruth Riddle, uh, and Kevin Whitecliffe. They are charged with conspiracy to murder federal agents. Wow. And attempted murder. Oh. The jury mostly acquits them. Yeah. And finds them not guilty. Uh-huh. Apart from for, like, firearms offences. Yeah. The judge overruled the jury. Whoa! And sentence gives them sentences of between like five and forty years. Okay. Um, there's lots of legal wrangling beyond that, and eventually the Supreme Court later reduces their sentences to yeah. to a maximum of twenty years. Okay. By which point, I think most of them have been in well, prison for for nearly that yeah. length of time. Um, and there are endless sort of congressional hearings and reports yeah, and investigations all of this centering on who made what decision why did they make that decision what yeah yeah a lot what was um, the order what yeah and there's a huge kind of conspiracy movement that builds around it talking yeah. about some of the stuff that we've already talked about mm-hmm. um there's also because everything was sort of filmed and documented yeah there's some very blurry footage that if you look at it a certain way looks like a tank is shooting fire out of the front of it Woof. Which yeah. is probably a light reflection. Yeah, from gas or from... But, it, but yeah. 
you know this sort of in conspiracy industry around it grows and grows and grows um on the second anniversary of the raid on St- on Mount Carmel in yeah. 1995 a large truck bomb is detonated outside the Alpha P Murrah building in Oklahoma City it's a federal building right. um 168 people are killed right. 700 are injured <laughs> The person who does that is Timothy McVeigh, stood outside Waco selling his bumper stickers. Yeah. Um, who, who, in the sort of uh, whatever way he put information out, um, had, if you believe he really did it, uh, I do, um, yeah, he said was... he was doing it as an act of revenge for Waco and for Ruby Ridge. Yeah. Um, and I think you can see, particularly in the 90s, the growth of that far right particularly militia movement in the states uh-huh. grow and grow and grow yep and much as i don't like their politics or worldview very much mm-hmm. I, oh, you can kind of understand why you might suddenly be really paranoid that if you don't fit in yeah the government might come and burn your fucking house to the ground yeah um and that i think we can see the legacy of those paranoias and distrust of the government yeah and yeah, you can kind of see where that grows from these two. Yeah, um, and the, the how the language that someone like Donald Trump used can incite that behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and when you think like the idea of the deep state that does certain things, mm-hmm. you, you yeah. can see how people connect those um, dots. Um, some group members stick with it, expecting Koresh to return. Sure. Yeah. Spoiler alert: He hasn't yet. Okay. Yeah. I um, mean. God works in mysterious ways. Clive Doyle takes uh, leadership, takes uh, right, and as far as I know, is still sort of the the Branch Davidian guy. He's okay. in the documentary on Channel Four. You can see Ooh. him talking about his view of what happened, right? Um, but there's very little sort of attempt to like recruit or rebuild. It's now Conti- just yeah. we're waiting for Koresh, and that's cool. That's Fine, what we'll do. Around the end of the nineties, a young Texas. Uh, local radio syndicate host yeah. um, starts to raise some money, Sam, to rebuild the church at Waco. Okay. Um, he raises $92,000 wow. to rebuild the church and particularly talks about, you know, the attacks on Christianity, on oh. government helicopters doing uh, terrible things to people, of the government lying about mm-hmm. how they carry out attacks um, in... Some of the John Ronson documentaries I've alluded to, you can see Alex Jones at the church at Waco that he's helped fund the rebuilding of. Fuck's sake. um, Who'd sort of had been doing some like the government is a bit bad. And you shouldn't have, um, you know, uh, biometric ID and there are black helicopters (sighs) around doing things. And then this event comes. Yeah. He makes a big sort of profile for himself. Yeah. But also it's sort of, if you've been going around telling people the government have got it in for you, and this happens, people are going to listen to you, right? Yep. Um, and so... Oh, when you started that sentence, I knew it was going to be someone. Yeah. I knew it was... Oh. Um, and, you know, that takes us all the way up to these... To today. To today. Yeah. To, to, to everything, right? To to Trump, to QAnon, mm-hmm. Sandy Hook stuff, to fucking Kanye and Nick Fuentes and Milo Yiannopoulos oh, sitting down with Trump and then being on the Alex Jones show. Yeah. Like, yeah, the legacy of Waco on, like, the psyche of American politics yeah. is extraordinary. And, 
yeah and not always present i don't think in in the way we think about these things but no, there are loads of these little insane yeah trails and connections um and that sam wow concludes our three-part series oh my gosh of the branch davidians in waco wow john very well told thank you so much thank you that's so i love how you brought together at the end about how the the like legacy of it because we've heard of it waco is in the zeitgeist isn't it it's in a it's a yeah, yeah. you know you're like oh yeah that some people got shot or something but yeah it's legacy is that's mind-blowing yeah yeah really yeah and so complex as well yeah um i think so this uh i'll do a shout out maybe for both books so i read the waco siege um which is a more sympathetic book i think sometimes it does push over into like slightly not reporting everything in the full way or being a bit too lenient on... i guess that's the choice of a of an author of a book is yeah. to write what you would um, like to say uh so that was kind of interesting to have that voice while at the same time yeah. reading i think this is probably the best i did look at a couple yeah uh, the branch davidians of waco history and belief of an apocalyptic sect uh by kenneth gc newport um oxford university press uh it's so comprehensive and yeah. so researched and so yeah does a really good job i think of being balanced and it has pictures and it has pictures <laughs> and everything yeah. um wow uh, madman or messiah the waco documentary on channel four mm-hmm. um was also a big bit of research there's lots of other bits and pieces as well but um yeah those are the main main ones i point you to if you want to know more um amazing that brings us to the end thank you listeners for spending some time with us yeah thank you happy end of 2022 woo woo um still trying to process 2020 but we're all okay yeah, it's fine we'll, yeah uh, we'll muddy on through um we are getting dangerously close to our 50th episode Ooh. we have some cool stuff planned for that we do uh so do uh listen out for that if you're on our patreon you're also going to get a few extra little things to yeah uh, to mark 50 50 main episodes of this there's a load yeah. of little small spin-offs and updates and things there's bits and bobs so it's not strictly 50, but that will be uh, winging its way to you very, very soon. I think I haven't suggested this to you yet, John, but I think I'm going to put a little poll up on the Patreon to get them to help choose the next episode that I'll research. Great. Cool. Well. I, I, so we've talked about what we might do for the 50th episode. Yeah. I already know what my, I'm thinking of like the next 50 episodes as like the new, as like season two. Okay, cool. Great. Why not? I already know what I'm going to start season two with. Cool. Um, it's a bit sillier than... Um, Victorian sex cult it's not Victor. I'm running out oh, of Victorian okay. sex cults yeah. listeners the invitation is still out there if you know one I haven't covered if you would like um, to start a Victorian but sex this cult is, so this is a really yeah. recent one in yeah. the last five years Ooh. and it's very silly okay um, and horrific but also silly yeah so yeah so I already have a plan for mine but yeah let's Lovely. do a poll for Sam's first one of season two yeah um, and if you yeah if you have any other uh, we really like it listeners when you send in yeah. uh, your experiences with some of these groups or you have pointers or recommendations of things please keep doing that uh we love that you can do that by emailing us at coffeeandcults at gmail.com if you'd like to support us financially you can do that one off uh just buy us a cup of coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash coffee and cults or regularly on patreon (laughs) with uh at patreon.com forward slash coffee and cults shortly patreons uh you will I'm looking at Sam because we'll have to work out when we're going to record that. Uh, we will have a new episode of Sounds of the Sexties. Yeah. David Koresh wrote a lot of songs, Sam. Fuck yes. Um, so okay, we'll, great. We'll do a David Koresh music special on the Patreon. Yeah. Um, following on the previous ones we've done. Um, 
And otherwise, we hope you enjoy the end of your 2022. Thank you for uh, spending some of it with us. Yes. We look forward to seeing you next year. Um, I will have this episode edited and released on the day of recording. Oh my God, can you believe it? So if you're listening to it today or tomorrow, send us a message to wish John a happy birthday for the end of the week as well. Thank you, thank you. If you're listening to it in the future, it's in December, so don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Get it it next year. Um, Have a good uh, festive time, whatever you're celebrating, uh, and we wish you a very happy new year. We will see you on the other side, Ooh. listeners. We, we love you. you. Bye. 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 We're going to talk to you. You are the initiate. You are the cause we've been. found out that I was actually dead.